All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Real Life, a podcast from the Nation Network. I got 50, I got 50 for days. Brought to you by Finning Canada, the parts you need when you want them. Welcome to episode 13, the Real Life podcast brought to you by Finning. I'm Jason Greger, and uh, this is a first we are joined by Jason Strudwick. It's not the first he's on the podcast, but he's joining us live from Hong Kong. Struds, how is Hong Kong? Oh, it's absolutely awesome. You know, when you look at the pictures, you see all the things that are going on, uh, you know, on, on social media. And uh, we, we arrived here Friday. Uh, my mom came with me. I'm, I'm teaching a hockey school here with uh, the Kung Pao Hockey Kings uh, down at a beautiful arena at the Dragon's Head uh, Arena. And we're having a lot of fun, you know, and we, we've been touring around like crazy, getting to know the MTR. That's the local um, um, subway system here. Um, but it, you know what? I, 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 I came with an impression of what it'd be like. I thought it'd be very aggressive, very unfriendly people. It's been the total opposite. Anytime we have any issue, uh, you know, I got my map out. People stop. They, they literally, I don't even have to ask. They come over and say, hey, how, where are you trying to get to? What are you trying to do? And people are so friendly. They go out of the way to be uh, to be kind, to help you out. It's been amazing, Greg. I, 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 I love this city. Absolutely love this city. Okay. How is the hockey? I know when you went over there and you're, you're teaching kids from ages 8 to 15, so the, the range of skill w- would vary, not to mention their age. What, what, what are their uh, hockey skills like? 
Well, first I got to talk about the arena. So our arena is the uh, the Sky Rink at Dragon Center, and our arena is on the eighth floor. So it's it's quite high. It's up there high. Uh, you've got to take a number of uh, escalators to get up to the top. And then within this 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 arena is probably about ooh, I probably say it's about two thirds the size of a NHL size arena. So it's it's a little bit smaller. Obviously, it's a little bit smaller. And then when they built this arena, if you can believe this, Greg, they actually had a, um, a, uh, a roller coaster riding through this area. So there's a roller coaster uh, that's been decommissioned. So the, the bones of it are still there. There's no roller coaster going on it, but still there. So, uh, you know, Monday morning I got up there. I got on the ice. I got on the ice. The kids, the ice again is about two-thirds of small. We have about 20 kids that are, like you said, 8 to 15. And we have another probably about 10 that are about 5 and under that join us for the second hour. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm for the sport. I mean, people are really enjoying the sport here. But it's the hockey culture. I think one thing we take for granted here in our city is how much people love and understand hockey. Whether you're the most casual hockey fan, you understand what hockey means to us. You understand that, uh, you know, some of the, the great players. You understand that the, the Golden Bears are here. You understand that, that there's, 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 there's the Oil Kings, all these great levels of hockey. Here in Hong Kong, it's a little bit different. So part of my, my job this week, what I feel my job is, is to kind of teach these kids what hockey is all about. You know, it's simply said, when you come into a, uh, when the coach whistles, you come in, you take a knee. Um, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're waiting for your turn to go, you don't, you don't lean against the boards. I mean, these are, these are part of hockey culture that, unless you're around it all the time, you don't really understand it, you don't really see it. So it's, it's been interesting. Um, you know, we've had a, a couple of good uh, first days here working with the kids. And they're eager to learn, they're eager to understand, but it'd be not unsimilar if I, if Allison, Greg, and I decided to open up a, uh, a cricket team here in Edmonton, and then that it would be great. We understand the rules of the game, but do we understand the culture? Do we understand when the great young players, or when the great players of all time, the young master? So you got to take your time and, and really kind of explain to what all the game is about. So Thursday, we're going to have a dinner together uh, with, with many of the parents to talk about that. And then Friday, after the last day of the camp, the kids and I uh, are going to go out and have uh, that, that kind of experience. Just have a chat. Just talk about what hockey's all about. The Oil Kings and MTO has been very generous. They sent a bunch of stuff over to me. I'll be giving that to the kids on, the, on, on, on Friday. But it's about the hockey culture. Knowing the game is one thing. Understanding the culture is another. And I think that's how you take your, 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 your level of game from, 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 let's say, A to B. I'm Jason Greger in Edmonton. Struds joins us from Hong Kong today. He's there as a hockey instructor. Uh, we well, we talked about that last week, so we probably don't need to revisit to uh, you know why why they chose Jason Strudwick. But you know it is something unique, and and hockey obviously wants to grow globally. If if you want to have the the greatest athletes in the world, then you have to uh, find kids in in other places, and it's going to obviously take a long time. I think in in that community to suddenly maybe have a a Hong Kong player come to the National Hockey League or even the American League or even the, you know, CHL or something like that. But obviously I'm guessing those are the type of things the conversations are. The NHL is the highest level ever, but it doesn't mean that kids can't have a successful career and learn lots about hockey and life, whether it's at the junior levels or high school or what have you. Like, do they have any, like, what's their tiering like over there, Struds? Like, hockey, is it, like, they're 15-year-olds. Do they have, like, a Bantam League over there? A good question. He actually, you know, I had a good conversation with uh, Michael Lamb. He is the uh, director of the, ho- uh, the Kung Pao Hockey or Kung Pao Kings Hockey 
And when I talk to him about it, now again, I'm trying to figure this out as on the fly, uh, but there are a number of different diff- um, kind of organizations here in Hong Kong, and they're trying to improve the level of hockey. But one of the issues they're running into is that there's no contact here. So when the, the players graduate from, you know, from 5 years old to 10 years old to 15 years old, then they move on to the men's league and they try to compete within um, you know, the IIHF uh, rankings and try to move their team up from, I believe they're in 3B, to try to move to 3A or into 2 or, or you know, if, ever, if you ever believe it, uh, into 1. One of the challenges they run into, they don't have a lot of contact. Yeah, in the 3A division, 3B division. So when their kids, when they move up to that level, all of a sudden now they're trying to compete in a physical level, and it's not like other divisions. You think about something simple in, in Alberta, where a lot of people are listening are in Canada, and when you're looking at that level, there's contact at the Bantam level. You can choose to not put it in, but if you want to put your child in Bantam, contact, they'll be prepared for that. But imagine as an adult, all of a sudden now you turn 18, 19, and now you're competing to not just for your, 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 your area, like a Hong Kong or a Canada, but you're trying to get into the next level above you. And I'm asking you now to also compete with players who have been competing in the physical sport, in, in, in the, the contact area, jumping in that, it, it makes it hard. So it's been, it's been pretty, it's been a bit of a challenge. And, and, you know, just talking again to Michael, talking to different people, Barry Beck here, a former New York Ranger, he's here as well. And that's one of the challenges, try to under, get the, the players to understand that there are, are different levels of play. There's physical play, there's competing, there's skill level, there's all these different things, but you have to put it all together. It's just not one area or the other. you got to put it all together and make it happen. And I, I think there, there's a definite willingness in Hong Kong and China, especially China, to kind of raise their level. They got the, they got the Olympics coming. Now, I don't think that their, their Olympics uh, will, be, will be terrific. I don't expect them to win a gold medal and beat Canada or, or Sweden or these states. But there's a definite willingness to improve uh, the level of play in China. And we've seen that with their curling team. Their curling team has had some great Canadian coaches come over and coach them. And when you're looking at the group here from um, for hockey, they have some great Canadian coaches, some great Swedish coaches, Russian coaches come over working with them. Um, but here in Hong Kong, they're trying to do the same thing, and it takes time. And, and I go back to what I said earlier, Gregs. It's that hockey culture. Understanding what hockey's all about, it takes time to figure out. Once they get that, I think they can really take off. You mentioned Barry Beck. So how many other NHL guys are over there with you? Well, right now, I've got, I'm, I'm the only one here. Barry Beck runs a different program within Hong Kong. So you've got to keep okay. in mind, I mean, there's about 250,000 expats. So that means people that are from Canada or, or U.S. that are living within Hong Kong. So there's a lot of kids coming out of those uh, people. So they they're, they're, they want their kids to play hockey. They want their kids to, to, to do different things. So uh, a gentleman like Barry Beck or myself, we come over here, we run these camps. And, and they're trying to teach the kids, you know, how to play, how to be quick, how to make things happen. Now, one of the challenges, no doubt, um, is the size of the rink. The rinks are smaller here. The rink I'm competing on, the Dragon Center, it's only about two-thirds the size of a regular NHL rink, which is fine. I mean, you can get your drills set up, and we, we, you know, we work in different stations. But you also want the kids to compete at full speed on a full-size ice. So that's one of the challenges, that there are not many rinks here in Hong Kong that are full-size. Barry Becker has been here for a number of years. He's trying to overcome that, and uh, you know, he's doing a good job. He's a very good coach, but it just takes time to get this uh, implemented uh, for the long term. Now, Strauss, you mentioned the 
the smaller ice. I know George Kingston was a huge advocate for a long time that having drills in smaller areas actually enhances the skill set of your players at a young age. So, well, you're right. They might not be able to go the full sheet of the ice. You can still go and find out how fast the kids can skate from the one end to the blue line or, or vice versa. And, and working in that smaller thing, that, that might actually enhance them because skating is just about getting quick and being fast. But going the full length of the ice, you know you played. It's rare that you go even in one shift the full length of the ice yeah no you know what i, I have no problem with the, the, the small area that was one of the concerns when i came over michael said no our rink is smaller i knew it coming over so i i, I kind of tailored my practice plans towards that and um you know the the, the good thing about it is that hockey is it's, it's about sh- short bursts there's no doubt you know you have your players uh, or uh, you know a lot of uh, fans might think of uh, johnny gujo carrying the puck through the uh, middle of the neutral zone or you've got a Taylor Hall carrying the puck to neutral zone, or Connor McDavid. But a lot of it, once you get into the small areas, it's about attacking from a small space and learning and feeling comfortable within those those small spaces and being you know battle ready for those small areas. So a lot of the drills I've catered towards or I've I've I've, I've worked towards this week has been uh, all towards that, feeling comfortable in the battle zone, against the wall, in front of the net, trying to get to the net, attacking the net, whether you're a defender trying to defend that or the forward trying to afford it or, or try to get into that area. So. It's been interesting trying to make it happen. I think the one thing is that when you have, let's say, 25 or 30 kids on the ice, it'd be nice to have a full-size rink so you can have bigger areas to do those drills. I'm not asking for full-size areas, but just bigger areas to do those drills within. So instead of having four stationary groups, I might have three stationary groups. And that's what we had the advantage in Canada. I think a lot of parents forget that, is that you know, when you can have four st- uh, stations uh, on an ice service, now your son, if there's 24 kids, your son is going one every six times or you know, out of that. If you have three out of that group, he's going to one every eight times. Son or daughter is going one every eight times. So the more stations you have, the more you can touch the puck, the more you can make things happen, and the quicker you can prove. Makes perfect sense, Strud. So what do you think's the the short term now? What's the next step for Hong Kong? Will this be an annual trip for you? Biannual? Do you think they're going to bring over more ex-NHLers, people who are coaching with young kids? Well, we had this conversation tonight, and, you know, Michael Lamb, is, is he's a really interesting guy. And he's from Edmonton. He actually went to Rashep. I think, actually, he came over and beat me up, and me and some of my friends at Archbishop McDonald, when I went there. You know, I got beat up many times uh, in high school, not so much when I got to NHL. But, uh... When, when, when I'm talking to Michael, you know, he, his goal is to advance the, the sport here in Hong Kong, but he also wants to support it, uh, support it in Asia. So he's talking about Singapore, he's talking about the Philippines, he's talking about Thailand. There are hockey programs there, and I know for a Canadian it might sound foreign, but he wants to make those bigger and, and improve those players. He feels if he can improve those players and make those guys better, all of Asia will improve because now the competition level's higher. So that is one of his big goals. So, you know, will they come back here? Maybe, maybe not, but I would like to say uh, I'd love to come back here again and, and visit uh, Hong Kong and work with some of the same players again, but also maybe work in some other areas that are around, uh, around here. Maybe go to Singapore, maybe go to Thailand and work with some of those players in that area just to get the love of the game and understand that this is what it's all about. This is what this sport of hockey 
hockey's all about. It's not about running to the NHL. It's about loving the game. Because, Gregs, you know, even though you have a terrible shot and you can't skate, uh, a fantastic love of hockey, which is what the bottom line is all about. Uh, Strauss, you should have seen my hands in the annual ringette game. But like if, uh, if CFRN's uh, highlight of the night was out there, buddy, it was the it was the Forsberg, which of course is a lot easier to do, as you know, in ringette when you can hold on to the ring a lot longer. <laughs> I couldn't do a Forsberg in hockey, but I can crush it in uh, in ringette. Now, the name of our podcast is Real Life Strauss, and you're over in Hong Kong. You mentioned there's a lot of expats over there. I do have to ask you, it's, it's been kind of a tumultuous time here in, in North America, especially in the United States, with a president of the United States coming down with his ban on travel and, you know, unfortunate big shooting in, in Quebec at a, at a Muslim mosque that, you know, killed five people and injured many more. It's horrible. H- how is that being received in Hong Kong? Is, is, is it what the president of the United States is doing? Does that resonate over there? Do you have a lot of people from them asking you about the United States? You know, it's funny. We, uh, we went on a uh, tour uh, just, to, uh, just yesterday and uh, to, to Lantau Island, a beautiful place. It's got a, a massive Buddha that's about uh, 23 meters high. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful uh, Buddha. And on this tour, there's people from um, Germany, there's people from England, there's people from Mexico, there's people from uh, um, Indonesia, all over the place. And one of the topics conversation that came over a vegetarian lunch, which I don't agree with, but I had the vegetarian lunch, it was delicious, was Donald Trump and the moves he's made. And I, I was just, I, I, you know what? I, I think at times we think that we get a little bit, um, uh, you know, narrow-sighted, just thinking, okay, this is, the, this is what's going on here, but no one's really talking about it. But all the decisions that are made in North America affect uh, people in, in Germany or in Mexico, especially in Mexico or over in Indonesia. It has a ripple effect around. And I, I couldn't believe the conversation we had around this vegetarian meal talking about Donald Trump and what he can mean to this country or that country. And again, we were talking like, we're talking about all the different time zones. I mean, there's myself in Alberta. As I said, the guy in Mexico, we had a family from Germany, we had a family from Indonesia, uh, a family from Japan, and it was really interesting to talk about it and just hear what they said. And the thing that echoed me, Greg's, was concern. And we've been a long ways away from what it was. The, what is the, the what is I guess the vibe? What is the the, the rapport around there uh, in Edmonton? Since we're so far away right now. Well, obviously, I think there's a lot of concern. There's frustration and there's anger. And, you know, people make the comparisons to to, to Hitler, which I think, of course, are are very extreme. I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that again. Uh, However, uh, you know, it starts and uh, at one step and then it builds. And so I think there's people that are concerned. I I do find, to me, a lot of positive coming out of it because a lot more people are becoming vocally supportive to say, you know what, this this is not acceptable. This is not how we want to be, you know, from Canada and obviously... Canada is not reacting the same way as the United States, but it is our neighbor. And a lot of times Canadians and Americans, you know, we, we consider ourselves together at times. So I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of Americans talking about it, saying, hey, this is against what we what we stand for as a country. So I'll, I'll be curious to see kind of what happens moving forward. I, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good to yell and scream and call names or anything. But I, I think it what's good is having conversations and People having peaceful protests and making sure they're being heard. Every Monday night on dinner TV, that's where I uh, I applied my trade and I look good in my tight jeans. We have a uh, women's panel and we have a, uh, just a brilliant woman named Bridget Sterling on. And we discuss uh, women's issues. 
and uh, you know she discussed the women's march and, and then there was a massive uh, women all over North America were marching and she said you know what and I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of take her words but she said you know what I appreciate what was done on those times but most of the work that really gets done is every single day it has to be detailed it's a grind it's not sexy it's not fun it's not a big march it's just every day going to make it happen and every time I think of you know what you just said I think it's fantastic that there's protests and people are, are, are on social media being upset but I really believe and I, I, I'm going to follow my friend Bridget Sterling off this it's what you do every single day can you apply the pressure can you be an advocate can you do it every single day it's not that one day every 365 days a year it's every single day I think the ultimately that's what makes a difference I think Bridget Sterling said it best that way so that's a great point. We're going to take a break on Real Life, the podcast brought to you by Finney. When we come back, we're talking NHL, we're talking the All-Star Game, and how the mentality shifts now as we get into the playoff race on Real Life. It's late, and you just finished a full day of work. Your equipment is done for the day, and tomorrow bright and early, you start all over again. You know what you need to keep it running smoothly, but there's not a break in the schedule to make that happen. With over 1.4 million cat parts at your fingertips on parts.cat.com, getting that part just became easier. Any device, anytime, anywhere. Get what you need, when you need it. Order today, parts.cat.com. Welcome back to the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by Finning. I'm Jason Greger. Special edition today with Jason Strudwick joining us live from Hong Kong. He's been over there instructing kids at the Kung Pao Hockey School at the Red Dragon Arena. Uh, Struds is uh, eating vegetarian sandwiches. He's becoming a whole new person is what we understand while he's over in Hong Kong right now. And Struds, uh, you talk about how over there they definitely know what's going on in North America. I know you, uh, you know, the All-Star Game is what it is. It's it's a fun event, great. But uh, the NHL unveiled their top 100 players and obviously all very good players. Uh, there was a few that, that I had issue with being on the team. And for me, I, I found that the NHL, like when they make these lists, I don't care what anyone says, there's always still big business involved. And they made sure that their most recent dominant team was reflected by having Kane, Taves, and Duncan Keith on the team. And, you know, like Jonathan Taves has never uh, won a heart trophy. He's never actually finished in the top three in voting. He's, he's never won uh, a scoring title. He's, he's never had uh, over 80 points. He's only had 70 points once. And, you know, he's got 500 and some points in 800 games in his career. And this is year 10. Guys don't get better after year 10. If Jenny Malkin's got way more points, has won the heart, has won the uh, Art Ross twice, he's won two Stanley Cups. Uh, what do you think of the... Um, the Taves addition and the omission of a Jenny Malkin. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I, I looked at the people who were voting for it. I think there was, they did a good job of trying to get a, a, a spread, you know, diverse group. I mean, you have guys like uh, John Shannon was Sportsnet. They were a little bit older. And you have the younger people like uh, Kevin Weeks who were, who were voting on it. Um, the interesting part about this is that I think you're always going to have people that are, that are not happy with the groups included. Jonathan Taves... Kenny Malkin, it's an interesting uh, conversation. I think you look what Jonathan Tate has done as a captain. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Now, I know you win as a team, he's lose as a team. But he's been amazing to do what he's done with the Chicago Blackhawks. He's been a steady influence for that group. Uh, Malkin's been amazing. There's no doubt that the year Sydney was out, he basically led the team. He, it took him all the way to the final, did some great things. Um, it's, a, it's an 
it, it, when you have such a subjective pull, the top 100 uh, players, I mean, what are there, 270 players in the uh, Hall of Fame? It's going to be very hard to determine who are the top 100. So I think we, wh what I would do is I would say, let's take out the bottom 20. I mean, there's some that are just no doubts. I mean, you look at Larry Robinson. You look at Patrick Wye. You look at Joe Sackick. You look at guys like, uh, you know, Brian Trachy. These guys are slam dunks. It, it was a no-brainer to have these guys included. Scott Niedemeyer. I mean, these are no-brainer slam dunks. And I think that the other 20%, I would just kind of park them to the side and say, you know what? Those are a conversation you can talk about. If you don't want Jonathan Tayson, that's fine. I can live with that. I'm not, I'm not married to that idea. If you don't want uh, Billy Smith in there, fine. We can talk about that as well. But I think, great. don't you think that you have to have a little bit of flexibility? Thinking, okay, this is, this is subjective. This isn't saying the top 100 point getters, the top 100 most Stanley Cups in the league history. Oh, no, 100%, Sreds. That's what I'm saying. And I think what, what I guess a little bit concerns me is, is Taves getting in was it was based so much on his two-way play, Struds. And that's such a subjective thing, right? Whereas you can look at stats and, and you can look at guys who are Art Ross Trophy winners and Hart Trophy winners and all those sorts of things and say, okay, these guys are legit. And when it gets to two-way play, I think it's a really gray area and it's at times, I think a really hollow term that gets thrown around, oh, he's a good two-way player. I'm like, well, if he's not dominant defensively, that just means he's a good player both ways. He's not a great two-way player because he's not great offensively. Yeah, I mean, but look at the voters again. I mean, the voters, they, they, you know, they, they watch the games. They see what's going on there. And I think that these are the guys that, you know, they, they, they maybe have a good feel for it, a good vibe for uh, what is going on with those, those two-way players. I personally, I like a good two-way player. I'm not going to lie, Grace. We've had this disagreement publicly and privately at some of your parties uh, where we ran out of beer after about 10 hours. But we've had these disagreements and all the time. I do. I am a big fan of Jonathan Taze. There's a lot of reasons, but I like him. I like the way he leads. I like the way he does. Uh, goes about his business on the ice. I like how he's prepared every game. But is there a case for a guy like Malcolm? There's no doubt you could have Malkin in that group. I guess it is just so hard to d determine. When you get to this level, when you're talking about the 100 greatest player NHL list of all time, it's very much, you know, what are those moments? What are the moments we remember? Well, I remember this moment for this player. I remember this moment for that player. That might switch a guy over for a vote. It's, you put the stats away. You put away the feeling. You put away the plus minus. You put away the coursey, whatever you want to talk about. It's that subjective moment. Because you're talking about the 100 greatest players ever, what? Is it six, 7,000 players? That's what it comes down to. What moment do I remember? Which player? Why do I choose X over Y? That's why guys get in. No, and you're bang on. I also think, Struds, we, we'd be kidding ourselves if there's not a bias as far as um, the amount of representation from American to Canadian. And if, if Jenny Malkin was name was Brett Smith playing with Sidney Crosby, I honestly have no doubt in my mind that he makes that team. But they want, they, need, they want the NHL still business and they want their Canadian and American players in because that's where their money is made. I can't argue with it, but I definitely think it's a factor. So are you upset? Does it bother you that Malkin's not in there over top of K uh, Taze? Yes, I honestly believe if Jenny, like today, if I'm starting a team, I'm taking up Jenny Malkin. But with, if Jenny Malkin can dominate games for you. And when Sidney Crosby went down, that's where if Jenny Malkin, he became even better. And that shows me like, you know, Sid's so good 
that if Jenny Malkin at times probably gets overshadowed. It's a little bit like Mark Messier in Edmonton, I think, at times when he had Wayne Gretzky, right? But, you know, Messier had that bullish style. If Jenny Malkin's not, he's not scared on the ice. He doesn't uh, play on the perimeter. I just, to be that talented, to be, like, to be one of the best scorers in the game today when it's that hard to score... I'm sorry. I'm taking of Jenny Malkin over Jonathan Taze because Jonathan Taze, was he on a better team? No doubt. They had a really good team in Chicago. He's a part of it. But I'll tell you, Struds, there's no other, name another number one center in the history of the NHL that can go three rounds of the playoffs and win by scoring one goal. Name one. It doesn't, I went through it on the weekend. There's not one team that won a Stanley Cup with their number one center scoring one goal in the top three rounds. That's how deep of a team Chicago had. And I think too many people in a 30-team league overvalue Stanley Cups when it comes to individuals. If we want to talk great team, I'm taking Chicago over Pittsburgh all day. Better team. If we're talking individuals, which is what this is, then I'm taking the individual in Malkin. Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit I would take Taze over Malkin. So you're telling me that you don't give full value for Taze because he's a captain. He's a leader of that Chicago Blackhawks team, so he gets less value because you just admitted Chicago is better than Pittsburgh in a seven-game series. Yeah, well, as over, well, no, not every year if they face it. I'm talking over the term of their success as a group. Right, But Jonathan Taves, keep in mind, Struds, and I've talked to a lot of people, Brent Seabrook is just as much of a guy. Brent Seabrook's the one who had to calm Taves down the one time in the box, and Taves has talked openly that you played in the room, Struds. There's never one guy, right? Good leadership groups. There's never just one, right? Like Seabrook and Keith, like that, it's just the mentality of Chicago where, you know what, we'll do whatever it takes to win. And if we have to elbow Daniel Sedin and get a five-game suspension, we'll do it. If we have to elbow David Backus in the playoffs, we'll do it. Right, like they had a Marion Hosa, who could be a Hall of Famer himself. Right, like they had a really, really good team. Yeah, but he's the leader of that group, so someone sets the tone. So, let, let, like, just to put it in context of perhaps a team closer at home, you look at the Edmonton Oilers. So you got Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid has thrown this team on his shoulders, and he's completely flipped the way this team's worked. Connor McDavid sets the tone every night. He pushes a pace. He's aggressive. He skates. And if you were on this team, you have to follow him. You have to follow that same uh, lead to keep up with him. If not, you're utterly embarrassed. You're pushed out of the way, and you're on to another team. That's what Jonathan Taser went. Yeah, but I'll say this about McDavid. Now, granted, he was a rookie. Look at the first year. They had no success. And until they improved the players on the blue line, improved them, switched out four guys, now the team's better. Yes, McDavid plays the same, everything. He's the most skilled guy on the team, arguably the most skilled in the league, but he only plays 20 minutes. And yeah, he might work hard, but the guys they brought in had a reputation of being good established players as well. I agree, but the thing is, when you're the leader of that team, the, the people follow the leadership. And I agree, there's no doubt that the, the, the defense had to be improved, but you have to look at who do they follow? Because you can have improved defense without a group that follows to follow someone. People want to follow someone. Now, Conor McDavid is not the Messiah, unlike many other fans think, but he's a good leader. And you are, you're sitting on that bench. I'm looking to my left. I'm thinking, man, look at Conor McDavid. Look how hard he's playing tonight. I've got to do the same thing. He sets the tone for that team, just like Jonathan Taze does. So I think you're actually undervaluing what Jonathan Taze's contribution is to the Blackhawks uh, as compared to what maybe Malkin is doing with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on it. So if Connor McDavid doesn't win a Stanley Cup in his career, he's not as good as Jonathan Taves? Um, no, that, that's, that's a good point. But I, I'm saying you have to value the leadership of a group. You hear any coach speak. You hear Tom McClendon. You hear um, 
you know, uh, the guys like Rick Bonus, you hear uh, Scotty Bowman talk about, they talk about the leadership group. And the leadership group, there's no, you need a core. There's only you need a leadership group, but you need that one or two guys that understand and push the pace for your team. You look at some of the teams that won Stanley Cups. It's no surprise. You look at Sidney Crosby. He pushes the pace for that team. The way he trains, the way he prepares. During the lockout, he had those special workouts for guys that go and, and spend time and get in shape and work out. He is setting the tone, not just for the Penguins, but for the rest of the league. Connor McDavis follow that. Jonathan Taze does that for the Blackhawks as well. That's an important role. There's, there's no doubt. You don't, you don't need one great leader, but you need a guy who sets the pace. That's what Taze does. That's what Connor McDavid does. That's why the Oilers ultimately are going to be very successful. Moving on to the second half of the season, although I know we're near game 50, but you come out of the all-star break struts, and now I think every player, they, they maybe they go to Vegas or wherever they go to the beach or they go to Saskatchewan at their farm, do whatever they're doing. Now they come back, everybody looks at the standings, and for outside of Colorado and Arizona, everybody's still within striking distance uh, for the most part. So just talk about quickly, struts, how it changes the mindset and maybe the small details of the game, what becomes more prevalent now that maybe wasn't there in the first 40 games? Well, first off, we love the All-Star break. I loved it. You get out there and just live in life. Oh, because you know this is the last stretch of freedom you have before the playoff drive. But now you come back, and although it, it sounds very cliche, these points are worth so much. Although two points in October, November is worth the same value-wise as the points you're going to get in, in, in February and, and March and April. But now you come back, and it gets so much harder. Everything gets tighter. Um, even the, it seems to me like the bad teams, they get a little bit better because a team like Colorado or Arizona, they don't want to be embarrassed. They want their, there's guys on there playing for jobs, playing for opportunities. That being said, you can't push those teams out of the way uh, if you have a good start to a game. They're like, oh, this is a hard night. We'll move out. But now for teams like San Jose, the Ducks, the Oilers, Calgary, L.A., every point is so, so valuable. The good thing if you're an owner's fan is they're, they're, they're up 10 points on, on anyone close to them in the Pacific Division. So they're in a good spot. But they want to keep pushing because now you're like, your goal isn't just to, to get a wild card spot. You want to get into the Pacific Division lead. And if you're San Jose or, Edmonton, uh, or Anaheim, you're like, what, what's going on here? How can these teams, how can the winners be in this conversation? We want to push these guys down. And if you're a Calgary who kind of has limped in the last 10 games, what do you have, Greg, three wins the last 10 games before the uh, All-Star break? They're like, we want to show we're better than we've shown. We think we're a better team. Guys like Monahan, guys like Gujo, who we've spoken about before, they're goaltending. They have to be better because they also believe they have a chance to get in. So I think this can be a fun playoff race to the end. But make no mistake about it. If you're in the Pacific Division and you're the Sharks, Oilers, or Ducks, you're coming back feeling pretty good about where your spot is uh, in the playoffs. Struds, enjoy Hong Kong. Enjoy Beijing. And uh, obviously, uh, when you're in Beijing, we know we won't be able to uh, talk with you. We'll talk to you uh, here on the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by Finning in two weeks. Uh, enjoy your vegetarian salads the rest of the week. Oh, man, I'm keeping it tight. Damn, I'm looking good. I, got, I brought home a nice tight Speedo when you go swimming with the kids, Greg, so you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully I'll be wearing goggles that are so deep shaded I won't be able to see through them. That's my only saving grace. Buddy, this, this Speedo's so tight, no secrets. You'll love it. Struds, that's the worst way to end a podcast ever. It's the worst visual. So I'm going to end. I'm trying to end it on a positive note. Have yourself a wonderful day and uh, get some rest. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. Right on. That's a real life podcast brought to you by Finning.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.